0: From 11FS, I'm Simon Taylor and this is Fintech Insider News. Today we bring you Amazon customers want them to get into banking, Walmart and PayPal team up on cash transactions, and Britain's war on dirty money lacks oomph. All this and more on today's show. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Fintech Insider News. My name is Simon Taylor. We're coming to you live from the 11FS office in WeWork, Oldgate, London, England. And don't forget, if you've got any questions for us, drop us an email, podcast at 11fs.com, or find us on social media just about everywhere. Um, we're not alone, though. We're joined in the room by some epic guest this week. Uh, this week we have James Hurley, who is the Enterprise Editor at the time. James, how are you? I'm very well, thanks.
1: I've uh, recovered from my trip to Dover this week, and I'm uh, raring to go. Good to see you You are
0: recovering from trips like a champion. Kudos to you, sir. Uh, and Kirsty Grant, who is Investment Director at Cedars. Kirsty, how are you?
2: I'm well as well. I'm uh, recovering from a trip to Lisbon, and I'm afraid of losing my voice.
3: Wow, but- late night love voice going on there. That was <laughs> uh, You've had a fun on your retreat, haven't you?
2: Trying to keep up with my team, who are a bunch of 25-year-olds. Oh, that's always the the worst thing to try and do is yeah
0: it? no in, in a room full i david and i are looking at a room full of people younger than us and it's quite <laughs> who, who could do that they're but waving all, oh uh, god the, the young people are waving at us um all right uh, before we get into this week's news we actually have some more news of our own last week david you announced something we did uh, 11fs foundry we did a thing and it's a partnership with dnb and we gave you a tiny taste of what it is and what it'll do on last week's news show but this week we can bring you more information as david sat down with Lydia. Glyptus, who's the Foundry CEO, and Rasmus, who's Group EVP for New Business at DNB, our strategic partner. Let's hear from them now.
3: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to uh, FinTech Insider News. Um, we're in Oslo to discuss the launch of 11FS Foundry alongside our first client and investment partner, DNB, Norway's largest financial services group. With me today, we have Lida Glyptus, the 11FS Chief of Staff and CEO of 11FS Foundry. Say hey, Lida. Hey, guys. Uh, And we have Rasmus, who I'm definitely not going to try and pronounce your second name, because I'm going to absolutely butcher it. But what's your second name, Rasmus? Vegan There we go. Uh, Group Executive Vice President for New Business at DMB. Um, How's it going? Great. Excited to be talking about this. Yeah. Well, thanks very much for for having us. It's um, I'd like to say it's a beautiful day in norway but it's a little bit gray outside today so you've uh, you've kind of organized london weather for us uh, kind of globally which is which is nice um so today we're here to um talk to your guys at dmb about uh, foundry and the partnership um there's a lot to sort of go through on this in terms of what it means but Lida, maybe if we start with you um what is foundry
4: Foundry is the answer to a series of observations that we made as a team working with leading banks over the years when we would be called in to help them create intelligent digital solutions so that they could retain competitiveness, go to market faster, um, de- deliver services to their customers that were new and challenging. And we found that for the banks where the aspiration was high, the capabilities that they had to deliver with non um failed to match up to that aspiration. That existing technology constraint, uh, consistently became the stumbling block and the, the reason why those aspirations would have to be brought down. The conversation was had again and again and again with banks, um, that are limited by what they have, the current make mainframes, but also the lack of agility in the way they work. And as we were scanning the market to find, um, an infrastructure that could help our clients deliver, we found that for whatever reasons, there was nothing there to do what we felt was needed. So we decided to build it ourselves.
3: Mm, I I always love that. Uh, Yeah, we can't find anything. So let's just build it. That sounds like a a good, good approach. And and Rasmus, obviously, we've had a number of conversations about this over the last, uh, what feels like years and years now. Um, but, um, But really, in quite a short period of time, we've gone from this feels like there's a commonality between what you guys are trying to do uh, to realise some benefit within within DMB and with the sort of longer term vision of uh, that leader and eleven FS, we have with with regards to, to Foundry. Um, I guess where did this journey start for you? Our, our journey started in that frustration of uh, not being able to sort of see something in the market. But where did that come from with you guys?
5: Interestingly enough, you know, you can almost just copy uh, what Lida said. Uh, first of all, it did start two years ago for us with uh, two two architects who. Uh, who had worked uh, with such projects within DNB and saw exactly the problems that you described and uh, could not uh, deliver on our expectations within the current uh, infrastructure. So uh, what they started drawing up and what they started the picture they started painting for me uh, seemed like one way out of where we were uh, trapped. Um, and, and, and really, uh, that's also why we were so excited when... I know Martin Truger started talking to you guys. Was how completely overlapping our perspective and the possible way out was. So it seemed like uh, both uh, at that point, at least, understanding of the problem and a way out was such a perfect overlap.
3: And, and I have to say, uh, I think from from my perspective, like that's been the weirdest thing about this entire sort of relationship. Really, is that. Uh, that complete overlap from the, you know, the first few meetings talking to, to Martin and Trigfer to, uh, you know, today in terms of going through it. The way in which you guys do events is the way we do events. The way in which you guys have been sort of talking about the problem is the same way as we've been talking about the problem. And it's, uh, it's very, very refreshing to, to find that type of, um, overlap culturally. Um, Lida, tell us a little bit more though. So what, um, what makes Foundry different, do you think?
4: It's digital all the way down. And um, and it sounds like such a throwaway comment, but what we're finding is that for customers who want to stand up a digital proposition, they have two very hard choices. Either they don't go digital all the way down and they create essentially a, an interface and a distribution sitting on top of their old infrastructure, or they have to take on the mammoth task of changing everything. So what we're Creating with, with Foundry is a capability that is modular and flexible running, um, as a SaaS that allows our customers to not solve for everything, um, at the same time. So we're creating a capability that can support banks that have invested money and time and energy in, in their existing core banking solutions and cannot or will not, um, Replace those radically by giving them a solution that allows them to move into the future despite those investments. Uh, creating complementarity, which, which is where we think that, that foundry is truly different. You can cr- stand up a whole set of services that can be migrated over time if that's what you choose to do. They can remain standalone if that's what you strategically choose to do without compromising any efficiency, data architecture integrity or security. Um, and, of course, Foundry can and will talk to to legacy systems, which um, is is a core requirement in order to be able to do that. So we plan on this being disruptive. We, we expect it to be disruptive, equally from a technology perspective and from a business perspective. We believe that the industry is ready for this, and um, we're excited to see what business solutions will be put forward on top of it.
3: Uh, I've already seen on Twitter about a thousand people ask me if digital banking is now two percent finished, so uh <laughs> we'll have to kind of uh you know see see where we get to on this one but and and I know leader obviously with you joining eleven f s has been a lot of peoples going like hey Qatar you've gone from Qatar to London like how's the culture shock and like you're you're back welcome back, but what are you doing so
1: I'm you know, cold
3: <laughs> but um you know being back in in London and being in 11fS I guess um, you know we've, we're building out a really powerful team to, to deliver on this do you want to talk about some of the people in the team
4: yes absolutely so um, the 11fS team is is known and, and loved and the and the capabilities and knowledge and experience in that team is, is amazing and enough to bring me back to the cold uh, but for foundry specifically we have a master team of rock stars um, we have you and silver as our CTO who's uh formerly with nutmeg and sporting index but also pivotal in standing up both monzo and starling um, as a technical leader he's immensely strong and um as an executive he's he's an amazing partner for 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 us to have on foundry but what's amazing uh i've said amazing 85 times but what it, what is amazing 86 is the technical talent he can attract just by being there and what we're seeing as we're we're standing up the technical team and and growing it it's having you in there is a is a is a beacon for the the, the sort of people we want um, building this out. And on the commercial side, we've got Steve Moffat, who joined us from Spotify, where he was head of payments, uh, commercial operations, and uh, before that, Betfair and Paggy Power.
3: Very cool. It's great. Um, you know, we talk a lot of, in Eleven FS about talent being kind of everything to make these types of things happen. But when you're trying to do something, bringing about you know best practice from other industries, bringing in, you know, really talented individuals who are sort of motivated in the right way. This is kind of critical to kind of making this type of stuff happen. Um, you know, key for us, Rasmus, was the, the team that you guys were putting it forward as well. So, you know, having, um, worked with Martin and Trigger for, the last, uh, six, seven months to, to sort of get us to a point where we, we can do today. Um, you know, their input into this and working collectively as a team is, is so critical to, to making that happen. That must make you guys really proud as well, because actually, you know, a lot of the times where I've worked at a big bank before, a lot of the time externals are revered as as the experts. But you guys have got real expertise in your organization. That's great to find.
5: Yeah, I mean, uh, what was so exciting for me when I started talking to Martin and Sue, first of all, they uh, they had been working on this project uh, during the evenings and, and weekends because it was not their normal job. Um, and in fact, when we created, uh, well, created a new, new strategy and thus also a new business came along with that, uh, part of the rationale for setting up the new ventures area was exactly to cater to ideas like that and be able to, to, to put them to fruition. Um, what excites me even more, I have to say, because Martin and Trigg, I've got to know now for a while. But as 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 uh, Foundry is developing, uh, we see so much other uh, talent in DNB that I've known before, but that are, are rallying to this cause. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, when we worked with other fintechs as partnership, et cetera, I see how the regulatory competence of DNB, uh, brand building, um, our, our legal team, uh, in our FSA uh, contact, et cetera. I mean, these are important factors that we bring to such partnerships. I see them also being able to apply it here to an international partnership. And I think that's, uh, I guess we saw this morning when we met people downstairs, there were people who were already wearing the Foundry shirt because they yes. want to be part of this, you know, yes. and, and, and get that ownership in the organization with a uh, very uh, strong competence, I think will be one of the key success criterias for this uh, project.
3: Well, we, we've definitely seen um, sort of, we talk a lot about passion and positivity. You know, we've seen passion and positivity in spades, you know, and like you say, it's not just from the people who are directly on the project, but actually from the, you know, the legal team, like it, and it's that sort of permeating everything feels like a very, a very different organization to me. Mm-hmm.
5: Sometimes I think we take things a little bit for granted at DB because we're also very impatient. So we feel we want to do more, we want to do more. And that's partly what's uh, probably driving toward that. We
4: like that about you.
3: <laughs> well, I think for us, um, you know, the partnership's really important. I, I know, um, you know, Lida, me and you have talked about this a lot in terms of the, the sort of narrative for for kind of not just why now, but why here. Um, you know, Norway's Pretty unique in terms of the this level of digital adoption and actually all of the different services that are deployed here. So you know, as well as um, as well as kind of having um, you know a, a particularly good digital capability and ha- from your perspective, being in a situation where you've got uh, the significance of the the base, uh, it just feels like a, a perfect uh, recipe for a, a kind of a great partnership. But I think it's it's good to maybe um, this is not just a um, entering into a contractual thing. I think the partnership goes a lot beyond that. Um Do you want to sort of talk, because obviously from an investment perspective, you guys have now invested into the, the foundry entity as well. Um, why did you sort of take that step?
5: Uh, Well, for us, as 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 our relationship developed, uh, and it became so obvious that we were aligned in in our path forward, uh, then uh, we saw well, we saw an amazing opportunity to first of all prove one value chain that we needed to uh, well exactly as we spoke about earlier, Lida, was where we saw the capabilities within our current system were not uh, providing for the business opportunities that we wanted to create. Um, so unsecured credit is the first value chain that we would we are focusing on uh, as a conclusion. But we saw many other such value chains early on that would have the potential uh, to also be uh, modernized, migrated. And uh, thus being able to be part of this because we really believe what it not just can do for DNB, but so many other banks incumbents as well. Yeah. And and maybe we'll get back to it, but clearly something about Norway as a testing ground has some, uh, has, ha, ha, has some, um, benefits to it that uh, we believe has, has a, can be applied to other areas later.
3: Yeah. I, th- I think there's, there's so many of those to be honest with you. Like, actually, when we start looking out into the in- international market, there are so many things that happen here already, like the, the digital tax capability. You know, this is something that's. Coming potentially down the line in the UK and you know further afield, they're they're sort of looking uh, with envy. So you know having the ability to do all of those different types of integrations now here and lead that back out into a, a, a global audience is is really really exciting to us because it um, you know if you're going to be doing it anywhere, you want to be doing it where people are truly digital. Um, how, how about you, leader? From a partnership perspective, it's uh, you know this isn't a a, a standard uh, a standard sort of engagement. This is a very different thing, isn't it?
4: It is absolutely a different thing. And, and finding the perfect partner is is not an easy thing. And you usually start on the journey looking for the perfect partner, but not expecting to find the perfect partner. Um, and, and this is not the case here. As David said, Norway is in itself a, an incredible place to start doing this because it, it is so much more advanced than many other of the um, economies that are seeking to emulate it. DMB is a fully culturally aligned partner to us. So working with your team over the last few, um, weeks and months for me, but, but even longer for the wider team shows that we, we have come home in a, in a very real sense in in terms of the passion, the positivity, the energy, the ability to balance the core Requirements around compliance and risk and regulatory awareness with agility and speed and and actually not compromising on either side, which is a which is a very big ask. But also the clarity of thought that your leadership is bringing from a business perspective, because although Foundry is a technical capability, it is a business empowerment tool, and the 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 real bold and creative decisions will are, are business decisions, and it's it's. Very inspiring for us to see this happening and to be part of this journey.
3: No, I, c- I completely agree. I think, um, I think it's one of those ones, like I say, you can sometimes find in organizations, two or three people who feel different. Um, literally from the board to all the way, all the way down, everybody we've met has felt very unique in this place, which is fantastic. So we're looking forward to a, 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 a um, uh, a very uh, fruitful, relationship for, for everybody in terms of what Foundry brings. So on that note, we'll leave it for now. But this is definitely not the last you're going to be hearing of
0: 11FS Foundry. Thanks very much for joining us, guys. Thank,
3: Thank you. you.
4: Thank you.
0: David, there's some exciting times ahead there from the sounds of it
3: yeah kind of weird one me doing an interview of leader and rasmus kind of weird right but that was super cool it's Ex- really really exciting times they made us so welcome in uh oslo so had a had a great time still kind of recovering and it's thursday which is kind of weird
0: right well that's what happens when you go for drinks seems like everybody's been traveling and trying to recover this week it's uh, it's been that week uh, fintech is like rock and roll right fintech, FinTech is has finally roll. become rock and roll um let's swig a beer to that one um all right uh first story though uh well it's the story. That it just won't go away. Um, Apparently, Amazon customers want them to get into banking. Two thirds of Amazon Prime members would try banking with the retailer, according to a Bain study. Now, Bain Bain surveyed more than 6,000 US consumers with a simple question. If Amazon launched a free online bank account that came with 2% cash back on all Amazon.com purchases, would you try it? Two thirds of Amazon Prime customers would. 43% 43% of non-Amazon Prime customers would, and 37% of non-Amazon customers. The demographic breakdown suggests that younger generations are keener uh, than the older, and almost 70% of the 18 to 34 age group bracket would try it. Amazon crushes national and regional banks in net promoter score, measuring for customer loyalty. They got 47 and compared with 18 amongst um, national banks and 31 for regionals.
3: So I, I guess they skewed this a little bit by doing the two percent cashback bit, right? You know, yeah. <laughs> so, so if it was like two percent of what I spend at Amazon, which is like eighty percent of my salary, then like I would definitely be up for that two percent back. But if you're, uh, you know, a four, you know, a fifty-five plus, and actually you're not spending much in in Amazon or in any way, shape, or form, then two percent really doesn't make a difference of like that, you know. I don't know for Valdi CD, a CD that you bought or something. You know,
0: is it just me or is it every week? There's some Amazon banking thing. It must get clicks. Well, uh, it, to me, it feels
1: inevitable their move into financial services. And actually, we should remember they already have moved into financial services, right? Because there's Amazon Lending, which is now a, you know, a not insignificant lending service to, to small and medium-sized companies. And I think what's interesting about that is it's it's their ability to have data on sellers, which has inspired that move there. So Amazon – bank it's like how much you're going to have all the data on the customers right you mentioned two percent cash back on purchases so you've got your bank knowing about your purchases and what's interesting to me about that is it raises the whole trust issue it's slightly surprising we've got all this apparently all this trust in amazon do you really want your bank to know
0: all of your purchases history it's the classic isn't it um, quick did, question
2: on the on the lending do they call their customers amazon prime and amazon subprime
3: oh <laughs> you know, that is that like, I just think we closed the show there. That was, uh,
2: thank you for joining Fintechno. Uh. <laughs> no, look, this article, it smells to me like um, something their investment bank cooked up, right? Yeah. I mean, I'd be, if that, was, if that was like, you know, my role for them, you'd be thinking, convince everyone Amazon could get into banking and then they could get hired to go out and acquire a bank or… Yeah. Raise a heap of money so they can develop their own. So you
0: mean strategy houses do put these surveys out to get press to try and convince somebody to do a thing?
3: No way. No. It, it, I did. Um, I went and spoke at a um, event recently, actually, for BlackRock, uh, and the first question—if the whole point of the the narrative of the panel that I was on was um, the Amazonization of wealth management—and I don't know what that means. Like and it was very confusing because it was
0: the ant financial organizations then then i could get that because out of alibaba and a marketplace becomes uh alipay which comes ant financial which is a logical set of steps and i think that's why people are concerned
1: Well, absolutely, and I think they're probably right to be concerned as well. As I think PayPal already has a European banking license, right? I I don't think Amazon does yet, but it feels like it's only a matter of time. And they would have an enormous ability to to pick up customers and probably to do what a lot of the challenger banks have started to do in terms of providing a much better service. But it's again, what surprises me is the level of trust. You sort of ask yourself, is this the same Amazon famed for tax avoidance and questionable treatment of its staff? Well,
0: that's not something I just don't care about that.
1: Oh, well absolutely i mean banks rightly have a, a terrible reputation but you ask yourself are the technology giants that much better <laughs> but
2: for the younger generation i think it's not about trust it's the convenience i mean they're all willing to trust all these new challenger banks that have next to no record uh, and, and, and i, I think, think this course.
0: is the, the the classic david line from a, a couple of weeks ago which is you would sell your own child for wi-fi in an airport like
3: pretty much <laughs>
0: <laughs> both kids really let's be honest yeah you know so this one feels like that the longest will they won't they since like ross and rachel from friends so let's move on and move to the next one. Walmart and PayPal, funny you should mention that, James, are teaming up. Um, So they're joining forces for cash transactions, which I didn't see PayPal getting into. Um, So apparently, PayPal users will be able to withdraw and deposit cash into their PayPal account at any Walmart store. In addition, PayPal uh, Cash MasterCard customers can access their cash balance using Walmart service desks, ATMs, cash registers. And this is the first time PayPal users are able to use cash at all. Uh, But each transaction Action has a flat fee of three dollars so if you put ten dollars in you're paying three dollars it, it's a strange one um, the parties have not disclosed uh, how that fee is divided between walmart and paypal uh, walmart then obviously are getting footfall and they're offering a variety of debit and credit card options and services um, but paypal's mobile app offers many of the same features as a traditional banking app including money management peer-to-peer money transfer And they also can qualify borrowers and who have access to a line of credit. How do we feel about this one? This one strikes me as, you know, the UK banks did something with the post office where if you don't have a branch, you can go to your local post office. There is something about low income sort of areas that from a financial inclusion standpoint, having people able to access Walmart, having people able to go to a place that's near them and deal in cash. If they can't get a bank account means they can transact online, but I don't know about the fee structure on this one. Well, absolutely. I mean, it's, we've seen already in Britain the, the story of bank
1: branch closures, haven't we, and particularly painful, as you say, for people on low incomes and small businesses as well who rely on the local bank, and I don't know what story is in the States, but I imagine there's something similar going on, so this, in theory, this could be very useful. I think Walmart has what 4,700 stores or something like that, and and I think the average American lives about 10 miles from a store, so it's, you know, that's that's fantastic access, but then to your point, if you're on a low income, a $3 service fee per transaction, it's absolutely enormous, and I'm, I am quite surprised by by the, the the size of that and what the justification for for three
3: dollars per transaction is. I, I'm not surprised about the size. I'm surprised that they can justify it. Like yeah. you say, it's a, it's a strange one because they're they're basically putting a, a tax on the poor, aren't they? This is definitely a scheme in its multiple senses, um, kind of put towards financial inclusion but it's a strange one for paypal as well I, I kind of feel like paypal have gone quite corporate in the last you know four or five years and this probably is another uh evidence of that trying to sort of wring more money out of um you know the 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 people who probably don't need money ringing out of
0: them. they're in the harvest phase aren't they of, of kind of their maturity um but it if you look at a lot of the financial inclusion activities, our own Leslie and Vaughan talks about the m story. Um, and this is helping people get a lot of time back by not waiting at an ATM in a super long line for, and then having to walk two hours to get to an ATM and even get cash out. Like if, if you can go to your Walmart, that's, 10 minutes away and you can do this thing and you can transact online and now you can be part of this this e-commerce world then maybe that has value and maybe with christmas coming up and uh, having some responsible lending products maybe this might be well timed as well so here's hope it can have a more financial inclusion element but it's interesting that it was involved in cash but moving back to cards Apparently, in the United Kingdom, uh, contactless payments have now overtaken chip and pin. Um, so they've moved, they're now more popular than chip and pin according to WorldPay. Uh, contactless overtook in June, where 51% of in-store card transactions were contactless. And in July, it was 52%. Uh, analysis of the company's data showed that use of new payment method jumped 30% in the last year alone. Um, and the popularity of contactless has increased as the upper limit of tr- on transactions has risen to £30 and the number of businesses accepting the payment method has grown. They've also seen big increases at betting shops and department stores, which is interesting. Um, Was this a surprise to anybody? Not really. I sort of felt like this had happened already, but, um, it's, it's good to kind of
3: see that it's continuing in that direction. It would be interesting to see actually what percentage of all of this mobile payments actually is as well. Like mm-hmm. with the, the kind of av- advancements around wearables recently, then it kind of feels like, uh, you know, Apple pay, Android pay through mobile devices, through well, wearable devices is going to be really sort of chasing these fast. I would have thought
0: I remember. 2009 uh, writing a deck for why a bank should consider contactless and they were saying yeah it'll never come and it's never going to happen Do we don't really have to do it now and this is one of these classic um, innovative things where the it's never going to happen, it's never going to happen, it's never going to happen, of course it was always going to happen and I never and I never know when the moment is that it flips and it's, it's kind of there's this interesting kind of moment where like oh actually no it, of course it's going to happen but you've got to remember in London um, we'd had the Oyster card, we'd had the trans- mass transit, and in New York now they're moving towards mass transit with contactless. Mm-hmm. It does seem to be, in Hong Kong, wherever this takes off, there seems to be that behaviour change first. Yeah. Um, so I wonder if that's a big part of it. and Def- Definitely on that travel side of things, I think
3: contactless being spurred through uh, like, you know, Oyster mm-hmm. or What's it, octopus, yeah. or yeah. yeah, or what's the one over in the Gao train over in yeah. Um, Africa? The like, train. Yeah, like all of these different things kind of spur people getting used to doing it in low cost, uh, high frequency uh, travel. And uh, Simon's literally showing us all of these cards. Yeah, Simon's been traveling a lot recently. <laughs> so, uh, um, but um, yeah, being in a situation where that happens, then you know people kind of start moving that to other things. Like, what if only I could buy my groceries or something but but i what i love about the the mobile payment stuff and i, I have to say i w- i sort of lamented apple pay for a real long time but the fact that actually apple pay through my fancy new apple watch uh there is no david has got a it. new apple watch people. i do you know i mention it every episode i'm just very proud uh i can like make mini mouse say the time and everything and um, what no, I know, right. Uh, but, um, but being in a situation where you can, you can spend at any, with no
0: limit through Apple Pay on your watch, that just replaces everything for me. Well, I remember you saying that to me a couple of days ago. I didn't know that that was a thing. And I'm a bit of a fintech nerd. Um, yeah, maybe but, a lot of a fintech nerd,
3: but being, being an Android person type thing, then i you're forgiven,
0: right? All is forgiven because Android is clearly better. That aside, I didn't know that you could make, oh, wow, you do have mini mouse on your phone. You're making Minnie Mouse say things. Oh, she won't, she do, won't it. do it. She's very, she's very shy. Well, you see, it's because Apple. Five, 17. <laughs> Apple just works um, alright uh, do you think there's something interesting here about that contactless number changing Like, I didn't know that you could pay almost any amount at the point of sale but these devices now are ubiquitous and we've, we've subtly gone through one of those shifts um, but are we um, going back to the cash point are we silently excluding people who live in cash in regions who aren't as tech savvy and, and is there something dangerous there and should we have more innovations like the PayPal one for people in cash or um, is it just a inevitable everybody needs to catch up
2: yeah i think it's the people that use cash and that accept cash like charities are really struggling and you've got a few companies now moving into that space like goodbox who try and do that contactless mm-hmm. donations um but bu- and buskers as well yeah. things like that.
3: Yeah. I, I think that's really great don't you it, it yeah. feels like there's a that must massively increase the amount of people who give donations don't you think
2: know? yeah absolutely yeah
1: the surprising element of this for me was that you know this hadn't already happened but then you step back from it and you think, well actually i, th- I remember doing a story like it must have been six seven years ago about the government scrapping plans to phase out checks mm-hmm. you know, and you think who use you, you know when was the last time you saw someone use a check but actually to your point charities and and small companies still rely on checks and it's a cash flow tool for for small businesses and i think that although this is an unstoppable force it's easy to forget how many people are still using very traditional forms of transaction
0: and you get this interesting last smile problem yeah. uh, where the new businesses that are born are born not supporting checks, uh, but it, then legally they sort of have to. So it's really interesting. You can actually get a checkbook from Monzo. You can actually accept checks because legally they have to uh, because of an inclusion thing. But at some point, the, there's always this sort of um, progress versus uh, kind of uh, inclusion dilemma that needs to happen. W- at what point do you say checks and cash are now not usable? And there is there is really interesting trade-offs.
2: Have you heard of that company FingerPay that's now doing it with the 3D vein mapping in your finger?
0: Yeah, finger vein technology. Yeah, that one's been um, – Barclays have been demonstrating that at every event I've gone to for the last five or six years. But I just want to see somebody actually use it. Like, I, I just don't know that finger vein – I know it's technically more secure, but I'd need to see it probably built into, like, the, the devices. The interesting thing about um, biometrics and fingerprints is the – handsets that we have, the phones we have pushed down the costs of those sensors through the mobile phone supply chain so dramatically that the sensors became cheap enough to build into just about every device. So I wonder if they build vein into um, mobile phones everywhere then I suspect it would happen. But otherwise it seems like a marketing gimmick for a major bank. It's why my laptop's got Touch ID on it and yours is still password, right? It's why my laptop has keys that light up and yours doesn't and you're just jealous. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Moving on from David's ridiculous love of Apple and all things daft. um, Nationwide are um, pumping 3 million into an open banking for good challenge. And this definitely didn't strike me as daft. Um, Nationwide Building Society injecting 3 million pounds in a fund to encourage fintech startups and academics to develop open banking apps that can help improve the lives of one in four UK households who are financially squeezed, equivalent to 12.7 million people. This is actually a government-sponsored open banking for good challenge pairs established fintechs and startups uh, with debt and money charities in a bid to develop apps that help drive financial inclusion nationwide says the 3 million funding will be distributed to firms that are prepared to develop apps to help with debt advice uh, gig economy income smoothing which i think is a huge area uh, and general management and budgeting And there's a quote here that says, If entrepreneurs, innovators, charities, and financial services work together, we could make a huge positive impact. And that's what this is all about from Joe Garner, the uh, Nationwide Building Society CEO. Applications are open from the 23rd of November 2018, and the scheme will run from December 2018 to October 2019. Really interesting, really interesting idea. Um, if open banking is something where uh, the banks were sort of through the Open Banking Working Group and then into the Open Banking Initiative, sort of we saw Yolt, uh, we've seen Starling with their marketplace. It's sort of been there it's been around but has it caught fire this is an interesting initiative and it's interesting that it's government backed as well but then there's a bank here getting a lot of good pr out of the financial inclusion angle there's a a lot going
3: on here don't don't call them a bank that will annoy them they're a building society right oh yeah yeah sorry nationwide you're a building society
0: you're you're a building society really um it's it
3: is an interesting one three million pounds actually not that much money, I guess. And why don't uh, they just go in? fintech. It's
2: are yeah. not going to go so far.
3: And why don't they go and just build something for open banking as well? Because, like, essentially, if you've got three million pounds, just go and do something with it, really. Well, so- yeah. If
2: they're committed to the open banking concept, then that's, I think that's where the real difference will be made here. Mm-hmm. And especially on that, like, the, um, income smoothing, we just did a fundraise for, um, Trezio, and their solution is exactly that income smoothing for people in the gig economy, um, freelancers. Um, and he was just, the CEO was of saying, The the crux of that is they have to have open banking to be able to analyze the the pay for Mm -hmm. their customers to make that work.
0: I, I think that's really crucial, isn't it? The ability to gather data and do things quickly is a huge business case. I, th- I thought it was interesting that this was government
1: funded, especially as a, one of the ideas that's been picked out here is income smoothing. Because, of course, the government's universal credit has caused the problem of people on <laughs> people on low incomes who are self-employed are, are penalised that their incomes are, are not even. And to your point, I, exactly, should we not just have let's put three million pounds or more into into a solution for that or fix universal credit? Just, I don't know how far three million pounds goes. It you, were, of you a lot very long way.
3: <laughs> like to to actually go and doing something to. Um, about this three million pounds would fix one of those problems yeah. um so it's it, it is an interesting one it's almost a um feels a bit y you know if if something good comes out of this then i am i am wrong but uh you know being in a situation where essentially you just went and used that money to fix one of these problems would be better to me than um talking about it publicly totally agree
0: yeah um well let's hope something does good does come of it and I'm all for anything that creates entrepreneurs an opportunity to meet each other and go found something and if this was seed funding for an entrepreneur to do something interesting uh we talked uh, I think it was last week about uh Monzo and Starling offering the gambling blocking feature with the cooldown periods and those sorts of developments I think are genuinely in people's interests so if something like that came out of this and people became more aware then good so let's uh, let's hope for the best
3: but but I guess the the halo there for Monzo was they went away and did a thing yes you know they were very they didn't talk about it until it was done and then they did it and now it's changing people's behavior and that's great you know there was a real good sort of impact from it but i'll be damned if that cost monzo three million pounds um so i think it's almost it kind of comes back to the sort of wanting to get praise for a thing that you should have done type vibe i know we reference that chris rock skit like a lot simon over the course of this this podcast um but um it does sort of feel like they they really should just go and do a thing yeah
0: um there's a lot to be said for building things and getting shit done frankly uh all right well let's take a quick break and we'll be back shortly
2: I wonder if a robot will be driving us to work in the future.
0: They say robots could become more intelligent than humans, which can only be a good thing, right?
2: Stephen Hawking said the rise of robots could be disastrous for mankind.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to robots doing the hard parts of my job.
2: If they're smarter than you, they might kick you out of your job. Artificial intelligence. Innovation or invasion. Don't settle for black or white. For the full perspective, turn to the Financial Times. Visit ft.com forward slash subscribe today.
0: Today,
1: customers are demanding greater value from financial services. They expect more agility, innovation and security than ever before. Most financial institutions are held back by the shackles of closed legacy systems that limit transparency, block innovation and ignore customers' demands. Finastra has a bold vision to unlock the potential of people and business. They've created a platform for open innovation in the world of financial services with FusionFabric.cloud. Their solutions span retail, transaction lending, and treasury and capital markets on-premise
0: and in the cloud. Start your transformation journey today with Finastra. Welcome back to FinTech Insider by 11FS. Uh, We'll be at Money 2020 in Las Vegas, and we're proud to announce we'll be hosting not one, but two live shows from money 2020 itself that you get to hear after the event two yeah Aww. have you got fun
3: already i really do yeah you, you
0: want to be there don't i you? am
3: like i'm good i'm not going you guys are gonna have a hell of a lot of fun we're
0: it. gonna have a ridiculous amount of fun hosting a live debate on the leadership loft stage which is easy to see um on how and where to build the digital bank of the future that'll be on the monday at two thirty local time uh, and that's gonna be fun because we've got team usa versus rest of the world it's sort of a Ryder cup format wow. um and uh sam you're going down sam all, our North American partner is going to be trying, trying to take on Rest of the World. Um, but I'm just saying team Rest of the World has Derek White. I mean, we're bringing Megan K. Wood. We're going to be like killing it, um, followed by a star-studded new show on the Tuesday. Uh, if you're based in the U.S. and or you're coming to Money 2020, then tickets are still available. If you use code uh, 11FS250, you'll also save $250 from the usual ticket price. That's 11FS250. All right, should we get on with the show? Let's do it. The next story is about the FCA opening their fifth sandbox cohort and something called the Green Fintech Challenge. Um, so they open again for applications as part of cohort five of their regulatory sandbox. Um, so I, I feel like this is Rocky five. Is this the, is this going to be the one that's? Oh, which one was that? Was that? Was, was that Mr. T, or was that... No, so Rocky Four. Anyway, anyway. We'll it's the one where there's no proper boxing match. It's just yeah. a street fight. Yeah, that, uh, okay. Good uh, knowledge to yeah, see smart. that. Jay, well done. Okay. Yeah. It's the one before, the one after. Yeah, anyway. Um Also, uh, this week is Green Great Britain Week. And uh, on Friday, they're holding an event to launch the innovate fintech challenge to coincide with the new sandbox so a green fintech challenge to the industry calling for the market to develop innovative financial products and services to assist in the uk's transition to a low carbon economy interesting. Um, This involves taking a view on areas where financial services and financial services markets could benefit most from innovation and actively encouraging the development of relevant creative market-led solutions by focusing on the area they aim to serve the public interest by supporting innovation uh, with the potential to deliver maximum benefit to UK markets and consumers. Uh, We've seen a couple of sandboxes in the past and we've seen some interesting companies go through the sandbox so let's see what comes next. Uh, We talked to Anna Wallace from the F CA, who's the head of the Innovate department, to tell us more.
6: So last week was a really exciting week for us at the Financial Conduct Authorities Innovate. And there's two things that we launched. The first was the fifth cohort of our regulatory sandbox. And as I'm sure your listeners will know, uh, we launched the sandbox a few years ago. This initiative allows firms to test their ideas live in the UK financial services market with real consumers. Um, And it gives them the opportunity to have input and oversight from the regulator. Looking back across the last four cohorts of the sandbox, we've supported almost 90 tests. And we found the sandbox to be a really good way of reducing the time and cost of getting ideas to market and also giving innovators greater access to capital by being able to prove their business model within the regulator's sandbox. It's also had a range of benefits for us as a regulator. It's helped us better understand the potential benefits and harms of innovation developing in the financial services industry, which we can then use to inform wider activities in our own organisation. But it's also enabled us to really engage with firms at a really early stage of their business model and ensure that the appropriate controls and safeguards are in place so that the risks of innovation don't fall onto the consumer's. And in terms of, of what that means for the wider market, it's really helped us to provide guidance um, on emerging technologies. So, for example, how to use distributed ledger technology in a compliant way. So that's the, the fifth cohort of the Sandbox opened up uh, uh, last week, and it will be opened up to the end of November. And you can get in touch with us at sandbox at fca.org.uk. But that's not it. Uh, on top of that, we also launched the Green FinTech Challenge, And this is a call to action for firms developing innovative products and services that will assist in the UK's transition to a low-carbon economy. We're going to open up our full suite of innovative services and provide regulatory support to firms uh, who need it to develop their propositions further. So what do we mean, what kind of firms are we trying to attract in this green fintech challenge? Well, not exclusively, but some of the ideas we've been thinking about are driving efficiency in the issuance, distribution or adoption of green products, managing climate-related risk posed to financial services market participants and delivering new green financial products. Now, this is the first time we've done a fintech challenge and it comes from the idea that we can encourage greater innovation by shining a spotlight on particular markets or business models. So why is it green that we're focusing on first? Well, actually, we've taken a very neutral approach in our And innovate up until now. Actually, what we found is that neutral approach hasn't led to consistent innovation across the market. And we've really seen very few ideas um, in the green space, which to us doesn't really respond to the potential needs of financial services user or or some of the ideas that we've been hearing in the market. So we're hoping it will really um, attract some innovation um, that's well needed. So if you're a firm developing something innovative in the green finance space, please get in touch with my team. Um, Applications will be open until the 11th of January, and you can get in touch with us at fintech.challenge at fca.org.uk. All the information about Innovate and everything we do to try and encourage innovation in the financial services market can be found on the FCA webpage.
0: And that was Anna from the FCA. David, have you got any thoughts?
3: Yeah. So the uh, interesting one, I wonder what this really sort of means, I guess, in terms of sort of like green initiatives has been such a broad thing, sort of banded around predominantly in the investment market, right? Like this is people kind of putting money into initiatives that are investing in things that are sustainable. Are the, yeah, the sort of sustainable investment. ESG, stuff. Yeah. I, I kind of wonder if it's sort of. Trending towards that side of things. So is this going to be a, you know, a sandbox, which is more heavily sort of focused on the investment market? Because I kind of can't think of too many other things that are going to be sort of in and around that space. You know, there's, there's kind of the, you know, the, the ESG side, as you say, but you know, other than that, I'm not really sure. What would be in there, so you know I guess we 're going to find out more and more, I guess, as Anna suggests when the announcements come from which companies are actually in this sandbox, um, but probably want to just keep an eye out.
0: absolutely righty, next story um, this one comes from the independent um, RBS are offering a new savings account paying a market leading interest rate. RBS has launched an account paying one point five percent interest, one of the highest rates currently available in the United Kingdom. But it comes just weeks after Goldman Sachs shook up the market by announcing its first savings account in the UK, also paying 1.5%. However, the rate only applies to the first £10,000, which is some way short of Goldman's account, which pays it up to £250,000. RBS's new savings builder account is designed to help encourage customers put money away regularly, um, but savings can be withdrawn at any time. Uh, timing much? Yeah, I'm just laughing
3: at Leaders quote on this one saying it's keeping up with the Joneses, but the multi-billion edition. (laughs) I I find that one quite insane. Yeah, it's very uh, cynical timing on the part of of RBS here. Like the sad thing on this one is that you know with all of the the changes around the interest rates, it's taken somebody to do something for the consumer to actually start getting any sort of benefit from that. So now somebody sort of broke from the pack, and it was Goldman's by trying to establish markets in the UK market. Then you know RBS have been forced to actually do something, which is just, I find that a bit sad as a, um, you know, for the market as a whole, it takes one bank to sort of break from the pack to do something interesting for the rest of them to actually have to follow.
0: And you see this in terms of challenger banks and um, major banks with feature parity. Now there are big banks that offer you freeze your debit card. What? Because the challengers have been doing that for two years. So, I mean, but that was always the idea of um, having competition, right? That it would ultimately benefit all consumers because not everybody was going to switch. Um, but there is something about the transparency and the being trustworthy and just not being a dick, frankly, of not needing somebody else to make you do it before you do it. That's kind of obvious.
4: Yeah,
3: I guess in this saving space, though, like, most people just worry about the rates. They don't really care about the the Features. narrative, really. And most of these things are going to be popping up when people Google, like, you know, best UK saving rates and hit, like... Yeah, uh, when you're
0: on the price comparison website, you're still going to see this and you're still going to be... Yeah, choosing. and you don't really worry about
3: the narrative. You just worry about the the thing you're getting but um
0: what do you guys think
2: i mean i love that you think goldman sachs is causing someone else not to be a dick
0: (laughs) well yeah i mean uh, now you know you're living in fintech times (laughs) right (laughs) i don't know
2: who i'm more scared to bank with goldman sachs or amazon but um but look i think the future is scary (laughs) look i think that's right it's you know it does take someone to break from the pack for people to change behavior and that's the way all markets work really and it's time for rbs to have a bit of good pr
1: much needed, here, yeah. yeah, so I mean, absolutely. I mean, this is the f- first thing I can remember that the vampire squid's done that, that we can be pleased about. And uh, as you say, I mean, the timing's cynical, but it's what it, it's going to take someone to do something like this for the rest of the pack to respond. Now, it's going to be very interesting to see if the rest of the high street
0: banks follow suit. That's a really good point. Like, will they?
3: Well, I think I think they're going to have to, aren't they? It's uh, it is that um, you know that that trend of somebody does something and then everybody else responds to it. And you know, I, the, I guess the interesting thing is a few weeks from now whether Marcus have to up their ante to a certain degree to in, in order to really sort of develop that. Because this is RBS's response is probably not to the fact that they're losing customers to Marcus. It's the fact that they're actually in a situation where they uh, they have to follow them to stop them establishing a, a, a brand. Yeah. To a certain degree, so you know it is. It really is interesting times. It's not just horse trading. It's um, you know letting another uh, competitor into the market, isn't it?
2: Do you think this is the ultimate defence for the big banks against the challenges?
3: Well, maybe. Yeah, I think I think it's a really interesting point because they've got they have all of the capital, right? You know they they could completely decimate the rest of the market by actually making it, uh, you know, much more of attractive rates. And to be honest with you, given the fact that they've got kind of all of the customers and they've got all of the money, then uh, like Napalm is a great solution sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so yeah, I, I think it would be a, a really interesting one to see if they, you know, I guess if RBS were going to play that game, like, you know, it becomes a, like if you do 1.5, I would have done two. We don't know about you, but yeah. it's like you've always got to go at least one, you know, one better, that plays to my Spinal Tap oh, references, so, right? And is, and you, absolutely.
1: And this is nowhere near as competitive, actually, when you look at it, because for the sort of person who's going to be, as you say, sort of looking at those best buy tables, a lot of them, let's be honest, are going to have more than £10,000 yeah. to put away. And then that then instantly the Marcus account looks a lot more competitive than, so than what a, RBS is
0: offering. We had stats, uh, on, I think it was on last week's show or the week before, where we said um, Marcus had already opened something like uh, fifty, sixty, seventy thousand 60, 70,000 accounts in the space of a month. I mean, that's an incredible number. So they've moved the market. They've really moved the needle. And there was a lot of excitement for people finally to have an instant access savings account that could deliver you something that got, even close to inflation, uh, so this was a real market demand that was clearly needed. So a me too play is does make a, a ton of sense here. But I just wonder if the if the cost income ratios of you know somebody who's built a, a modern architecture, somebody who's uh, actively trying to acquire deposits on their balance sheet, is different to an incumbent that's uh, got a, an, a cost structure that's quite different with the systems they're providing, with the processes, with the people that sit behind that. Like, um, can the innovative to get scale before the incumbent gets innovation and is the innovation here just price or is the innovation how they've executed to a certain degree
3: uh, the the dial they've turned here is is the percentage that's that's all the changes this is not new
0: savings this is a My slightly is better marcus though because the dial they've changed is i'm guessing the cost of acquisition and the cost to serve for marcus is 10 of what it is for one of the incumbents
3: yeah i, I guess we don't Really know that. I'm not, I'm not sure what I know, you know, uh, the understanding of actually what Goldmans have actually done behind this. So um,
0: they've, they're on record as saying they built. Brand new architecture in the cloud, new processes, digital end to end, and it's very, very thin. So I, I signed up for an account. It's very slim. Like this is this is not bells and whistles, a million features. It's really, really basic in terms of what it does.
3: So, so to your point, then the profitability on there, one point five percent in terms of the savings, is going to be a hell of a more than uh, you know a, a sort of a four hundred million pounds a year sort of managed system that RBS Exactly. Uh, yeah.
0: Exactly. That's my point. Is is actually they they probably do have the shoulders to weather a storm in a way that you see your point with a big bank is well they'll just come back against this with with loads of you know, fees and it's what well, well actually no i think goldman can weather the storm they're actually really good at net interest margin they're very good at being the the sort of the bank that takes those deposits and then gambles with them it's an interesting balancing
3: act though to to your point it's a um, you know cost of serve versus cash and reserves you know like at that point it's a you know,
0: deposits in- versus, yeah.
3: Well, it's a, it's a weird sort of David and Goliath kind of fight that, isn't it? You know, who can sort of hold their breath long enough spending the most amount of money? If you're spending less money to acquire them and to run them, but you've got more money to give away because you've got higher cash reserves. Mm. Like, it's an interesting one, which, which is to be honest with you, why I'm like, actually, why has RBS not just gone 1.6% and been a dick about
0: it? <laughs> <laughs> one louder. It's one better than exactly. 10. Exactly. <laughs> Any other thoughts on this one, guys?
1: Oh, just just to echo your point, I also opened an account out of sort of uh, just intrigued by it, really. And I, I was amazed at the simplicity of it. You know, maybe you expect a simple account, but there's just nothing. There's nothing. There's no bells and whistles. It was very clean, so easy to open an account. That was quite impressive, actually. And it was like a, a matter of two, three minutes or it something like realize that. that how that little that an
0: account needs. Yeah. Like, there's so little an account actually needs. Like, what else do I need my savings account to do? Let me put in money. Show me the balance. Let me take it out. And there's pretty much nothing else you can do. uh, And it's really cleanly designed. And I think, like, well, yeah. Why do you do have all these other features on savings accounts that nobody uses? Yeah. It's just um, so simplicity is effective. And I think there's something about being able to uh, really rethink the product from first principles. That's kind of interesting. Um, but from moving from saving to spending story comes from TechCrunch. Tandem's new credit card targets people who have non-existent credit history. So thin files. And so their second credit card, the Journey card, targets people in the UK who've not built up a credit history at all. Um, they're already one of the most effective ways of improving your credit score. And like their other card, they have low FX fees. But unlike their original card, uh, it has no cash back and it has a higher APR. Um, both cards offer integrations to Tandem's banking app, which in turn acts as sort of a personal finance management control center for your money. Um, and it lets you aggregate non-Tandem banking data. The CEO of Tandem Ricky Knox says the integration of credit products into our app is a game changer for the industry. Our competitors have launched some great preloaded and debit cards, but we will own the credit space mm, big, big, big chat but it's been interesting because um, there's been a checkered history for um, Tandem they've they've gone out and tried to execute and then they had this investment from a Chinese group that then went away they then acquired Harrods Bank now they're in credit they've been pivoting but they seem to be still around and um, gone into a credit product it's, it's a different model compared to the Starlings and the Monzo who just went straight with the current account and then Starling into Marketplace and Monzo into just deep scale in the current account side
2: yeah, I think it's a clever move. I mean, as you say, they've had a kind of a rough couple of years, and I think the other bank, challenger banks have really gotten the jump on them now in terms of the debit space and the uh, preloaded card space. This is the obvious thing for them to kind of focus on now and be the first out in front in that in that area.
1: Mm. I think it's interesting as well as like in the in the in the context of the broader sort of credit for you know people with poor credit history. This is very interesting timing. You know, we've just seen the failure of Wonga, haven't we? And actually, people with poor credit cre- credit histories often do need credit, and they're some of the people who are most in need of this. The question you have to ask yourself is: is this being done ethically? Yeah. yeah, and you know, Wonga, if it had been executed better maybe could have been a a responsible business but it was executed very badly you know we had the the scandal of those letters from the fake law firm and and actually when you looked at it if it had been done properly it could have been actually cheaper than dipping into your bank overdraft for example so I mean I'm intrigued to see how they're going to run this and not fall into some of those bear traps that are there that that will you know basically result in exploiting people
0: it's interesting how the revolving line of credit with a reasonably high APR and subprime has been consistently you know you've got with in the UK we've the Vanquished cards in the US there's the similar ones where it can be a credit score builder if it's done right. Capital One have been doing a big push on here's, um, here's just a product that helps you build your credit score. And here's a really clear interface that looks a lot like clear score that helps you do that. And, and it can be done responsibly. And I think we are seeing more of that now. Um, it, I think,
3: I think it can be, but you, you just don't want this to be TCF narrative around a business case, you know, treating customers a, fairly as a business case. Exactly. Well, no tcf bullshit around a business case Uh, (laughs) like actually you know being in a situation where it's like you know if you're a company pivoting around the thing that you're doing and trying to find some uniqueness in the market then you know you don't want to land on the thing that actually you know uh, has a very good business case but isn't necessarily the greatest thing that you're doing for society really you know to to your point around Wonga, really i'm sure they didn't start to turn out to be bastards but it's just sort of where it ended up right um turns out um,
0: it can be quite profitable
3: yeah, exactly. And and profit generally leads to a bit of a, you know, a, a funny situation type thing because the thing you do that gets success basically leads to you going, well, double down. I'm all in, I'll keep going, you know. But
0: I do think there's an alternative narrative now. I do think that uh, again, coming back to that, uh, cost of acquisition, cost to serve lifetime value or long-term value that the economics can be different. And the way you acquire customers at a lower cost of acquisition is by consistently delivering really strong brand experience, really great engagement, really great transparency. And I think that is the challenger model that the big banks have missed. They've seen the features and they can get feature parity. What they can't do is get process parity, cost to income parity, and brand transparency. Just look at how these organizations communicate when something goes wrong. Uh, One organization puts out a press release basically saying nothing to see here and another one goes here's exactly what happened and how it happened and what we did to resolve it and that communication is in and of itself, is a form of marketing and is a form of brand building that I don't think has really landed yet as being a good business model to have. And that we're going to try our hardest to not let you land in debt, to not get you into trouble, like preventing people from getting into gambling trouble, is a way in which people will refer that brand to other customers, which reduces your cost of acquisition. And I don't think people have made that link in some of the big banks. I
1: think that's right. But I think uh, a lot of the mainstream financial services organizations are it's almost too scared to get on the front. Foot, actually, I wrote a column a couple of months ago. It was was to do with small businesses, actually, but it was about how RBS, in this case, had just got into this habit of just being so defensive about everything. Mm -hmm. To your point about how they react to a crisis, and it is, is really notable how you see the challenger banks when they have a problem, they just deal with it so much better. And I think, yeah, the mainstream financial services organisations just would not do a move like this because they'd just be too scared of the criticism.
3: it's it's interesting because. Uh, I guess when you stand back from this, it's like, well, where's the innovation? Is this a, to your point, James, is this a, is this a brand that has a, Permission to do things in a different way, um, but it's not really that innovative. You know, this is a credit card with PFM. Yeah, it's 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 another credit card in the market. You know, and that's... But,
0: but I think there is something about the thin file, right? So the decisioning piece around giving you a credit, like if I'm new but Vanquish to, have done that, like you know, like Vanquish and you know, actually
3: Halifax have had kind of like low income, low credit file cards for a long time.
0: It's just and the. I'm, but it's know, not just low income. It's like new to country. So if I come from another country, I have no credit history sure. if I'm young and I've just got my first job I have no credit history uh, it's actually really hard to get on that credit ladder and then build sustainable credit if the PFM side of this is putting me in control of my money and teaching me good financial behavior and tandem can eco profit out of that and grow relationships with their customers which I think is probably where they're intending to go then that makes sense
3: but but I think the innovation here is in credit cards it, the innovation is lending in a different way mm. like and actually if, if what people are looking for is either you know thinking about whether it's an overdraft, a loan or a credit card. It's just the ability to
0: manage your cash flow more effectively as a human being. And, I think that's the key. It, you were talking earlier about that with the, with the gig economy. It's that income smoothing piece. Um, I was talking to somebody in one of our teams uh, a week ago and they were saying, oh, I've got to choose because I've had um, two weddings come up in a month and I can't pick, but I can't afford both. Um, and I don't want to use my credit card for it because I don't trust myself with a credit card. And so you've seen now these instalment products come out um, or the loan products are in uh, Monzo and Starling for a specific purchase. And I think that sort of, I know it's for this thing and I'm in control of it narrative is an interesting one that they haven't played into here.
3: Well, but, and I think that's the important point though, is that that would, be an innovation because essentially it's breaking down the silos between what is lending, what is overdrafts, what is credit cards because actually customers don't give a shit which one it is like yeah. I don't care if it, I care if you try and make me carry another piece of plastic in a tiny little wallet that I have you know but actually if you can just give me a situation where actually I can say this is the problem, how can you help me fix it then that's more innovative to me and breaking down those silos between you know old fashioned financial services products that have existed forever
2: it could I think just you be need to, pres- it, it, it kind of goes to the core of the business model. You talked about eking out a profit. And in the sort of traditional banking business model, you've got you know, loads of customers getting the service for free on the basis that a few get these punitive charges that subsidize it versus how is, you know, tandem going to monetize this? How, where, where is that profit going to come from? Um, is it going to be that they can monetize the data in some way? Um, or is it this that they can bring the, the cost of acquisition so low? Is that
1: My other sort of question mark around this is, does, does Tandem have the expertise to lend to this type of customer? Because that's effectively what, what they're doing, right? And that's, it's a completely new proposition in terms of onboarding this kind of customer. And then also you need, you need the right recoveries operation. And it's, it's not straightforward.
0: It's not straightforward. We've seen good and bad examples. One goes one end, but a firm in the US are kind of the opposite, like Affirm, A-F-F-I-R-M. And they were formed. I thought you were just being weirdly aloof then. Yeah. Uh, There's a company. Are you
3: going to tell us which
0: firm? <laughs> <laughs> I had to spell it out okay, for yeah. yeah. Um, but what they do is they've uh, you know they're able to address a market segment uh, with what was it Rosker, eighty seven somewhat percent lower default rates than the mainstream lenders.
1: Yeah, so they le- they lend to one hundred twenty six percent more people than traditional lenders, and their
0: default rates are way below market. Well, it's fascinating. So one hundred twenty six percent more lenders than, and their default rates are way below market hundreds. They approve 126% more customers and the default rates are below market average. That's what data can do for you if you get it right If and your default rates are below market average. So you can do both, but you have to be really, really good. And I, and I don't know if like announcing it and your first article announcing it and then what Tandem intend to do, it's hard to tease that apart. So maybe we'll reach out to the guys at Tandem and see if we can get, get an interview and find out more.
3: I, I think if nothing else, we've learned you should just always have a Roscoe in the room for statistics on hand. I think that, that works out not really work.
0: Uh, Roscoe also knows people at Tandem although we did do an interview with them way back in the day we should probably go do another takeover and find out more about what they're doing but moving on to the next story inspiring the leaders of the future this story comes from BusinessWire IFC and Alipay announced the 10x1000 10x1000 tech inclusion program to inspire technology leaders in emerging markets so the International Finance Cooperation um, IFC a member of the World Bank Group and Ant Financial jointly announced this program uh, to train 10,000 tech experts in emerging markets from public and private sectors in the next 10 years. The program aims to build an interactive and open platform to increase support for tech leaders and skilled individuals. Who are working to alleviate poverty and make basic financial services more broadly accessible in Indonesia, which will be the first stop of the program in 2016? And Financial signed onto the World Bank Group Universal Financial Access 2020 Goal, and committed to increasing access to financial services for 100 million underserved individuals. Damn, that's some scale. Yeah, they some big numbers, aren't they? Uh, I think it's interesting that they're helping nature talent within emerging markets rather than developed markets, uh, in taking over, right? So we have seen, um, Alipay come into the Scandinavian region. They're making lots of partnerships in the Nordics now. Um, they've been trying to get in, break India for quite some time. They've been trying to make partnerships in Africa. But actually, this is a really interesting way of doing financial inclusion as business development.
3: I, I don't know why I have a really bad feeling about Anne Financial. I'm just going to put it out there. It's a weird it give time. You the to put heebie-jeebies? It, out. it does. It gives me the heebie-jeebies cuz they're so nice and they're but doing get- so many amazing things that I'm like but where's the evil villain? There's got to be the evil villain in there somewhere. Have Do you, you know
0: seen me? the logo? It's a cute
3: little ant. I know. It's an ant. Like, you can't hate that company. And, you know, they have such crazy scale and doing so many amazing things. Like, these guys are planting fucking trees everywhere to offset the carbon emissions that the people would have done if they went to a branch, right? And they've planted, what, like, hundreds of thousands of trees or something, haven't they? So I'm I'm like, there's got to be the catch at some point with these guys. West like, North. what is it? Like, what are you who are you selling my data to? What is it that you're doing? There's got to be something. Chinese government. Okay, fine. <laughs> but, um, but you know, I, I just think it, it is amazing what they continue to do. It's amazing that every week there seems to be an amazing headline coming out about and financial, whether it's scale or
0: proposition you know, or whatever i just think it's too good to be true well so we need to stop seeing amazon of banking and we not need to stop seeing headlines around ant financial right that what they're doing is banking but better it's banking but tech and this is a playbook for how you do banking at mass scale surely there's some interesting things here about microcredits to um, uh, small and women-owned businesses in China, uh, collaboration on inclusive digital finance, green digital finance and business environment han- enhancement. Uh, I just really like these ideas. No, this again, this it seems too good to be true. Like,
3: there's going to be gun smuggling and something at the back here. There's got to be. <laughs> They're giving cigarettes to babies. They are. <laughs> it's going to be happening. It's and killing this a all, panda. This
1: is all motherhood and apple pie and it's, it's great. We just need to see the results. And they mention microcredits there and you know the, the wonderful Mohammed Yunus is clearly a great guy and has done some great work around microcredits, but there's still some some debate around what difference that actually makes to, to people's lives. So and it's good, but it's going to take ten years, right? So yeah,
0: this is going to take some time. Uh, it's a good commitment. Um, but let's get to the next story: um, Britain's lacklustre fight against money laundering. Apparently, according to the Economist, Britain's war on dirty money lacks umph, which is a great thing to have in a headline. Umph, you just don't see that enough. Uh, So no one knows how much dirty money is rinsed through London, that's a very British word, Um, but Britain's National Crime Agency reckons British banks and their subsidiaries, including those in overseas territories, launder many hundreds of billions of pounds each year. This follows uh, Danske Bank uh, and the Estonia uh, kind of headlines there around an estimate of over 200 billion euros being laundered through through there. Um, fighting financial crime seems to be lacking energy. Um, funding is an issue. Apparently the National uh, Crime Agency's budget was um, sort of 430 million pounds. So it's going to keep falling um, and the government's hoping that the launch of the National Economic Crime Centre will bring more coherence and coordination. But really this is a huge, huge issue in its global yeah and Britain's
1: record on this is frankly appalling and it's there's two sides to this one is that um you know our efforts to tackle this are woefully underfunded and the other side is that we've we've like opened our doors up to fraudsters and criminals and we actively want these guys in that in our economy mm-hmm. so we, ha- we can't be surprised if then London becomes a massive money laundering capital and you know it's behind everything from the you know the housing house price bubble to to you know some of the crime we see on London streets human trafficking all sorts of things so you know it's, it's, this has
0: really been a shameful episode of britain over the last over the last probably 10 20 years and i think putting that human face on it's really important human trafficking uh crime on the streets uh the the human costs of money laundering money touches everything and money laundering isn't a financial crime where some clever people in suits move some numbers around on a spreadsheet it's A person who is moved around the country and sold as a sex slave. It's people working in Bangladesh not making enough money because somebody was able to move money through an international bank. And and to me, what frustrates me about this is the only answer seems to be more process um, and more checkboxes that don't work. One of the biggest protections uh, around uh, preventing money laundering is customer due diligence and enhanced due diligence. Enhanced due diligence involves things like checking for adverse media. Has this company showed up in the news. Checking for uh, are they on a sanctions list? Are they on the OFAC list and elsewhere? Um, but also asking for source of funds. And w- the really c- crazy thing about this is I saw um, an old uh, regulator report from the old FSE where they, uh, from 2014 I think it was, 2013, where they did a deep dive looking at how banks actually do um source of funds checks and the way you do a source of funds check is to send somebody a form and ask them what the source of funds were and they say oh i won it in a gam- in gambling and they go okay good you can have <sighs> like really and the other one is really just to check that you are who you say you are by looking at the passport information you gave me 10 years ago
3: <sighs> is it is it just me though are you a little bit concerned that if britain starts clamping down on money laundering... In conjunction with everything that's happening with Brexit, that this might spell the, mm. you know, the the uh, increased exit of uh, kind of all of the, you know, big headquarters of the big banks to kind of somewhere within Europe. You know, like not not that I'm saying like le- let's let let this slide, but there's been a, a number of instances where we've been where uh, if we're taking a, a much firmer line than the the sort of global um, global stance of these things, that actually we we push a load of organisations out of the
0: country. So I don't buy that. Uh preventing money laundering is preventing business in fact i believe that the problem with the controls against money laundering is the controls we use today prevent business they're woefully inadequate this problem where if i want to make a transaction over a certain amount as a business i have to find my passport and bring it to a branch and show it to you again and that's somehow going to prevent money laundering is stupid it's passports are definitely not you know
3: able to be forged at all. Oh, right, so no. Yeah, yeah.
0: And also getting a photocopy of them. Yeah. So it's, it's just ridiculous. It's the processes that are broken and it's the lack of ideas. And I hope RegTech can kind of step into this.
2: Totally agree. I think the regulation is there already. Like I think the Britain's actually been at the forefront of a lot of that. Mm-hmm. The rules are there. They're just not being enforced properly um, or effectively.
0: And the solution can't be to hire more people in a compliance department. It has to be changing how we do this to be more data-driven. Uh, I think Swift, GPR, is a good program of work to try and uh, look at the uh, global payments initiative to share information about how a transaction is happening.
2: And I agree, you don't want to become uncompetitive now with Brexit coming up. But at the same time, the city needs, you know, a bit of a facelift at the moment. You know.
1: But, you know, let's, let's be serious here. This, this stuff is not enforced, right? So, you know, let's remember HSBC actively looked for money launderers. That was its business. It wanted money launderers. It wanted criminals to, sa- you know, sanction. But this is what they've admitted to all this stuff. This They sanction busted with Iran. Who went to prison? No one went to prison. You can nick something from Sainsbury's over the road and you'll get aris- arrested. You can have hundreds of, min- completely negligently,
0: if not willfully, have hundreds of billions of pounds washing through your bank. account. No one goes to prison um, for it. Yeah, when you incredible. try and do anything good for the customer in a bank, it's always the control teams and the compliance teams that get blamed for not allowing you to do anything, and it's incredibly hard to execute anything. And so the disparity between the effectiveness of the control and how the control is enforced during product design is really kind of off-kilter.
3: I, lo- I love yeah. the idea that at HSBC, they started that project like they did everybody else, and they created a persona of the customer, <laughs> yeah. and it was like Pablo Escobar. Like, yeah. You know I mean? It was like, yeah. Yeah. it would have been amazing. Is that one? Wonderful
1: story of them widening the the tills in the Mexican branches because people were bringing so much cash in in boxes they wouldn't fit through the the normal window so they had to w- w- physically widen them so people I, could
0: pass think, the cash through. I think that the, that is the epitome of customer centricity. Like <laughs> it, it really is. <laughs> well, um, it's time for an and finally story on that. Um, and finally, following on from the dirty money story, here's dirty cake money. Um, So coming from Chronicle Live, suspended Patisserie Valerie finance chief is arrested overnight. So um, if you're not familiar with Patisserie Valerie, good cakes. Um, Really good cakes. Amazing Amazing cakes. Amazing cakes. Um, The chairman's been through the rescue loan package after a black hole in company's accounts led to its finance chief being arrested on suspicion of fraud. The holding company said on Wednesday it's been notified of significant and potentially fraudulent accounting irregularities and and therefore a potential material misstatement of company's accounts. It relates to $1.14 million owned to the taxman. Uh, and the group's finance director, Chris March, who was suspended from the role earlier in this week, has been arrested on suspicion of fraud, but was later released. Has, can, can, how can anyone have a black hole in their accounts without anyone else being so aware Released on bail, I understand. Released on bail. Um, uh, Wanted to have his cake and eat it, hey? I knew that was in there somewhere. I was searching for the pun and you found it that's why teamwork makes the dream work right, man
3: it's an extraordinary story
1: this and I I've, think I've been, I've been writing about business for about 10 years and I can't remember anything quite like this just in terms of the speed it came about so you know it was last week was it Tuesday as we're going to buy our cakes in Patisserie Valley and as far as we're concerned it's a healthy business a surprisingly healthy business versus its competitors it's if cakes. we're to believe their <laughs> statements and then by I think it was Thursday the whole thing's falling apart and if Luke Johnson hadn't have put together the rescue package it would have, slid, it would have gone into administration just the speed of it it was absolutely extraordinary it's
0: lightning fast I mean somebody at the serious fraud office must really like cakes <laughs> and I didn't know there was a serious fraud office but yeah, well, light- well, light- serious fast office as it's known in private eye, of
3: course. Well, yeah. I, I want to know what fraud is not serious like surely mm-hmm. all fraud
1: is <laughs> reasonably serious yeah, as soon as, as soon as fraud officers like they'll take on the, the ones that are seen as like institutional and, the, and on, the, on the largest scale and to our previous story this is part of the problem of the whole of our nation's response to fraud because police forces don't have the ability to, mm-hmm. to uh, investigate fraud they don't have the funding and they have to make decisions of whether they're going to go after burglaries or child abuse or fraud so white collar fraud doesn't get looked at and it takes something of this scale to be looked at by the serious fraud office so most most white-collar fraud goes under the radar this because it's so high, high profile it will it will get yeah. uh, presumably seriously investigated and
3: like you say i wonder if it's because the business nearly went out of business and the yeah. impact that that would have rather than the act in itself which is just
0: crazy isn't it, it really is i guess the tax man and the fraud office were hungry indeed mm, yeah uh, that wraps up this week's show and um, thank you very much to our guests where can people find out more about you james
1: uh, so I'm on Twitter and um, always engage with people on there and always like to have some new followers. I've been stuck on the same number for a while. So please, <laughs> please come and join me. And um, I'm easy to reach at the Times as
0: well. And what's the Twitter handle if somebody does? Uh, I'm at way. James Hurley. At James Hurley. Uh, what about you, Kirsty?
2: Oh, this is the bit where you always embarrass me because I never know my Twitter handle. But, you know, get me on LinkedIn or at Cedars
0: brilliant and how about yourself david uh at david Breer on twitter and as for me i'm at S Y Taylor. and you can join in the discussion on fintechinsidernews.com or tweet us at fintechinsiders and um, remember subscribe so you never miss an episode you can hear all of these cake-based puns and many more and um, to really make our weeks leave us a review as well there's been some cracking reviews recently and um, thank you very much for listening and goodbye for now